0: Welcome to the Tiger for Life podcast, where we'll hear stories from Washingtonians from their favorite food at Waltz or the calf to their favorite Tiger Tunes shows and professors. We'll also find out what they've been up to outside the famed Washita bubble. I'm your host, John Merriman, Ouachita's Director of Alumni Relations. Today on the Tiger for Life podcast is Ouachita graduate Krista Bennett-Neal from the class of 2008. Krista currently serves as Executive Director of the Percy and Donna Malone Child Safety Center in Arkadophia which provides forensic interviews, trauma-focused therapy, advocacy, and education all surrounding child maltreatment and abuse. Krista shares about the center's work, how you can get involved and help protect children in your community, and her favorite wash memories like being in Tiger Tunes, time with friends in the calf, and meeting her husband, Jay. All right, Krista Neal, welcome to the Tiger for Life podcast.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: <laughs> how are things on the other side of Arkadelphia today? <laughs> okay.
1: um, Oh, it's, it's a busy day, it's a very busy day here at the center. So <laughs>
0: so I guess you have, you know, just a wide gamut of you know, the busy days and not busy days over there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's um, I during COVID, it has been um, interesting. It's been interesting to kind of gauge. Um, we've had some really, really busy months and weeks that honestly, we just didn't even have a moment to breathe. And then other times it's been kind of slow. So
0: well, for those who aren't familiar with the center, tell us a little bit about the center and about the work you all do.
1: Yeah. So um, I am the executive director of the Percy and Donna Malone Child Safety Center. Um, we've been open for a little over five and a half years now. Um, so we're a nonprofit organization and we provide a variety of services at no cost to kids and families. And we provide those services um, when there is a child maltreatment or child abuse investigation. So. We provide uh, forensic interviews, evidence based mental health therapy services, child and family advocacy, um, sexual assault exams, and then we do a lot of education and prevention efforts in the community.
0: How do children usually come to you? Is it through like a DHS kind of referral or like, or DCFS? How does that work?
1: Yeah, so um, it, in order for kids and families to be um, officially referred to the center, there has to be some sort of investigation of child maltreatment abuse. Um, so an, an agency, a state agency or a local agency has to make that referral. Now we um, don't turn away anyone that needs help or, or guidance. So like we get phone calls from people that are concerned. And so we, you know, just depending on what um, their need or their concern is, and we guide them to either make a report or possibly get them, you know, referred to supportive service or therapy or something like that where they are, but yeah, we are nonprofit. So we have to, we partner with the other agencies, but we have to take referrals um, through some sort of referring agency like that.
0: What does a typical work day look like? I know we just talked about the fact that it can be up and down, but yeah. Wanna, if it was an average day and you had kind of like average caseless kind of coming in, what, what does your day look like? Or what does the day look like at the center?
1: Oh my, well, I don't know. So, so this job isn't boring and, you know, being the director Um, that definitely isn't boring. But then I also do um, some mental health therapy. So I get to do some of the direct services just um, in kind of a backup role. So I'm not the primary provider of any direct services. But I mean, the days look very different. So as a director of a nonprofit, you know, there's always um, just like the management aspect of that. Um, But you don't have to do fundraising for it. So I'm writing grants or doing grant reporting. Um, We also have to do actual community fundraising events. You know, the the center is fully funded by grants and private donations. So always trying to figure out um, all of those (laughs) elements is enjoyable. I kind of like it though. It's like putting together a puzzle and making sure that we're ahead of the game. And um, But then, you know, I, I'm involved on lots of state level committees and boards, um, trying to um, advocate for changes in policy or legislation or um, whatever might need to happen to help um, abused or neglected children across our state. I um, also I coordinate a lot with. Um, local prosecution and such, I do, I do um, expert testimony in trials to educate juries on the dynamics of child maltreatment. And um, so that's some, it just depends. I mean, like if a trial's coming up and I'm involved in that, also do the mental health therapy, like I said, the direct services, um, and then also just kind of manage the team. You know, we have eight people on staff here now. And so all in their different direct services roles. And and so, yeah, just a lot of things, a lot of different things. So.
0: How many, is anybody else full-time there at the center? Are they just kind of as needed? What is that? Yeah,
1: no, so we have, um, let's see, I don't want to misspeak. We have six full-time staff and then two part-time staff. So um, just like I said, I mentioned the services earlier, um, but yeah, so just our sexual assault nurses as needed. And then we have a mental health therapist that um, helps uh, with the overflow cases. So that's part-time and the rest of the staff work here time providing the services
0: so So that's grown quite a bit since the beginning oh
1: yeah it was uh yeah when um (laughs) when i was hired it was it was me we didn't have a building yet so yeah it's definitely grown a lot so it's been a um wonderful learning experience and a labor of love from a lot of people a lot of people have invested in this
0: that's really great um you know how's the pandemic changed what you do you know i think when the pandemic started i think a lot of people assumed that maybe maltreatment would be happening more because kids were staying in their homes and families and not in schools. Uh, is that something that you saw through your work and, and how's the, the pandemic really affected the lives of children like that?
1: Yeah, it's kind of complicated because you're exactly right, John. So, um, I, you know, I don't know if the listeners know these sort of stats, but the vast majority of the time, like over 90% of the time, if a child is sexually abused, they're sexually abused by someone that they know and trust. And so um, that could be a close family member. That could be a family friend, someone in the church, in their community. But what that meant in the pandemic is that it's, it was very likely that a lot of kids were actually stuck with their abuser. Um, the majority of child abuse reports that do come into the hotline actually come from teachers. So when kids had to stay home and didn't really have access to teachers, um, reports went way down. Reports to the Arkansas Child Abuse Hotline went way down. But I believe that then abuse was actually probably happening even more. It just wasn't being reported. So we've had kind of a a strange ebb and flow of things. At the very beginning, um, things kind of slowed down with referrals, less kids were being reported. But then we saw a really sudden spike And um, it actually was even before school went back into session in August. It was a little earlier than that. So I'm unsure if it was because um, kids were finding someone to tell or they were out crying in a unique way or maybe, you know, restrictions were lessening a little. So maybe they were getting exposure to other community members. But um, we we have 2020 has been our busiest year at the center. We we saw we've seen far more kids than we usually do in a year. Um, So. But kids wait to tell if they do tell. So I, I kind of feel like we will continue to see the impact of this isolation and COVID restrictions and all that has come, the stress of COVID. Um, I think we will continue to see that impact for you know years to come.
0: So I guess you're, the maltreatment you deal with, I mean, some of that is sexual assault, but some of mm-hmm. it can just be like physical abuse and things. Yes. Yes
1: we actually saw an increase in physical abuse uh, cases and severe physical abuse cases. Cause I mean, I think if you think about it, um, it's a really stressful time for so many people. And I think that, um, you know, it'd be safe to say that there were times maybe when caregivers or people around kids would take that stress out on them. And so, um, so yeah, yeah, we did, we did see an increase in that and, and we do. So we serve kids, um, any, we're open to any type of, um, investigation. So if there is a child that's reported to have been severely severely neglected or maybe a witness to crime, um, witness to violent crimes usually is what we would serve, witness to murder, things like that. Um, and then sexual abuse or severe physical abuse are, are the cases that we usually um, serve here.
0: Yeah, I would think that your work could be a little bit overwhelming. Are there <laughs> days that are just really difficult to, to process all that you're hearing and seeing?
1: Yeah, it, it is at times. It's, um, you know, I mean, it sounds kind of silly, but the highs are very high and the lows are very low. Um, you know, especially when we first got open, you know, I wouldn't have, um, I wouldn't have shown interest in, in starting a center like this if I didn't know there was a need, you know, I obviously was aware that there was a need for something like this. But John, I, I mean, I really didn't understand how much of a need there was. I had no idea. Um, it has. I, I feel like I've kind of um, swung back to the middle, though, on the pendulum of. At first, it was like, "Oh gosh, this is overwhelming. I don't know how to make sense of all this evil that I'm seeing." And then I, you know, I've had to find self care practices and ways of dealing, um, you know. But I, but very early into this field, I remember my husband Jay. He said, "Krista, you're you're different now," and I was like, "Well, you, you cannot look evil in the face like this and not be changed. You know, it does change you." Um, but it motivates me. And that's what I've found is I found that the more I know, I can't unknow this. And so since I can't, then I'm going to do something about it you know, and continue to impact in that area.
0: Do they train for that kind of thing in school? <laughs> do you work on, like, how to not let it just, you know, take over your life or, or really, you know, get you down. Are there any things they teach you in school about that?
1: to an extent i feel like we're moving more in that direction i think probably when i was going through grad school um you know i graduated i guess 11 years ago now i think i can't remember 10 or 11 years ago now from my master's program Um, i think you know it was it was talked about some Um, i do think it's like a lot of things in life you know you have to experience it for yourself and figure out what works for you and your way of dealing um with what you're seeing and um and hearing being exposed to. So, but yeah, there definitely needs to, I think be improved, um, improved training and teaching on self-care. And um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a difficult balance at times. So.
0: What drew you to counseling in the first place? Did you, had have you always felt concerned for, you know, other people and kids and that sort of thing, or what, what drew you to make that as your kind of career path?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's kind of complicated. I did, I did, as you said, I, I did. I do remember at a young age feeling concerned for those that were hurting or maybe that needed someone to stand for them or fight for them. I'm definitely, um, definitely for the underdog. I'm definitely for the, for someone that is struggling. I'm um, a lover of justice and, um, uh, advocating for those that can't really advocate for themselves. And I think I've always been like that. Um, but I actually, it was, um, at Washita, I went in to Washita as an undecided major, and I um, took Gen Psych my first semester, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it, and I thought, well, that's what I want to do. I want to go into that field, and I want to um, do counseling. So.
0: That's neat. Yeah. I, I took that gen psych class and <laughs> I liked it. I was trying to decide what to do after my music major was not going well for me.
1: <laughs> I
0: took gen psych and I was like, yeah, this is going to take a lot more school and I don't <laughs> want to do any more school. <laughs> so MassCom on the way out. You
1: there know. you go. Perfect. It worked out. <laughs> uh,
0: you know, I know that you get a lot of referrals from teachers and they're mandated reporters and go through mm-hmm. all that training like we do here at Wachita, but for, a, you know, average alum listening out there or mm-hmm. you know, somebody that's uh, not connected to one of those areas where they get training. Um, what would you say to somebody like to give them advice on what to look for or how to keep kids safe in their community? Are there some tips or things for just an average listener out there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I think probably the most important thing is just to not deny that this sort of thing happens around us. Um, You know, like I said, when I first started, it was hard for me to come to grasp with that Um, there is such a high prevalence of child maltreatment and child abuse. And so I think if we're just honest with ourselves and realize that we do know that this is happening around us, um, you know, varying studies show that um, in regards to sexual abuse that about one in anywhere from one in five to one in ten kids will be sexually abused by the time they turn 18. So that's like 10 to 20% of our population that will be sexually abused before they turn 18. And we also know from research that polyvictimization happens two thirds of the time. So two thirds of the time when a child is um, abused or maltreated in some way, another maltreatment or abuse is happening. So it's a common thing. I don't think that needs to um, get us down though, because I I just think we need to be aware and not be, be in denial about it. I think that the biggest thing is being a safe person for kids. Um, What that means is just investing in relationships um, and educating yourself and educating the kids that are important to you. You know, um, sometimes I think people hesitate to talk openly about these things to kids because they're nervous that it'll affect them negatively or impact them in a bad way. And the truth is just having open communication, in an age-appropriate way from early on, I mean, whether it be, you know, nieces, nephews, grandkids, your kids, kids that go to church with you, um, you want to have that open communication and be a safe person for them. Um, So studies show us that um, childhood adversity and trauma can potentially have um, very negative um, lifelong effects. But studies also show us that the biggest predictive factor in children going on and actually experiencing healing after they experience trauma or abuse is, is um, the biggest predictive factor of them healing is that they have a caring and safe adult. And so I think educating yourself on that dynamics, making sure your kids are empowered and educated, a big piece of what we do at the center is we provide education and prevention efforts for kids and for adults. So I love that. I left that off my usual day. I'm always going and talking to people. I'm always going and telling people how to tell and what to tell if something happens, empowering kids. Um, Very early on, when we first got started, there were a lot of kids that told us that they didn't realize that what had happened to them shouldn't have been happening. And so I was determined in, th- in that moment that we were going to do a prevention and education program. So now we go into all the school districts in our service area and we educate kids. So I think parents or concerned community members or family members can definitely help us educate kids, educate yourselves, um and just be a safe person.
0: Are there resources available for people that want to, you know, dig into that more either with the center or statewide, you know, what are some resources?
1: Yeah, for sure. So Um, obviously, you know, you can access through our website, which is um pdmcsc.org, but then there's uh, lots of um state level organizations, and then I I, you know I don't know where the listeners are, but I'm sure there is a children's advocacy center near them. Um there's also I'm sure other um organizations related to maybe like foster care or in Arkansas, the call. Um there's lots of agencies and organizations that are out there doing really good work. And you can usually find information and resources from those. Like on our website, you can find um, body safety night ways um, sheets of how to talk to your kids about body safety. Um, or you can find information about how to give or donate to nonprofits like ours. But um, there are organizations all around doing this good work. I think. One of the reasons I really appreciate you highlighting me on this is because I know that sometimes we avoid talking about this stuff because it's kind of uncomfortable. And so I'm probably not the most like joyful uh, podcast here, but, but I am because there is good work being done and there is healing that's taking place. And, um, and so there's organizations all around, I think, that if you just looked into a little more, you could figure out how you could help families and kids in your area.
0: Yeah. Rachel Roberts was helping me think of some questions for you. And she, I was like, you know, what do you think would be good to discuss? And she's like, well, if you talk much about work, it's going to get really serious. <laughs> and I said, that's okay. Cause that's what we're, you know, we're going yeah. to highlight the good work that's being done out there. And yeah, um, yeah I think but it, but it, but it there,
1: it is, I mean, I don't know. It is so serious and it's so heavy, but there is healing. Like, we see it all the time here. We see healing and we see hope. We see, I mean, my prayer is that generations are changed because of the healing that can be experienced through centers like ours, you know, um, you know, hopefully the people that are harming kids are getting um, justice criminally and hopefully the kids and families are getting um, healing. And that really does change how our society even functions and how families function. Healing in relationships is huge.
0: Yeah. And I think the education piece is so big too. Mm-hmm. You know, we, did a lot of mission work in Moldova and just trying to educate them on signs of trafficking. You know, because yeah, a yeah. huge issue, and they hadn't, you know, thought about the things to to be on the lookout for. Mm-hmm. If the job offer is too good to be true. You know right. that yeah. sort of thing. And I think the more you educate people on what to look for, you know, around them or kids that they're around or what's happening to themselves. I mean, that could change generations too. You know. Yeah.
1: Absolutely, and and I think and then reach out if you're if you're wondering if you have questions. I mean, call us or call your local CAC. I'll answer anybody's call. I, I know if I get a call late at night, it's like oh no, something bad's happened or someone has a concern, but that's okay. Like we want to, we want to help and educate. So, um, yeah, educating yourself um, is definitely very helpful. That's
0: good. How many other centers around the state are there? I mean, I, I've seen some ads pop up for some, and, mm-hmm. and what does it look like around the state?
1: So there are 17 centers like ours across the state. So I think we were the, Oh, I don't know. Why. I think we we're maybe the 13th that was open. So it um, is actually like a, a slightly more recent movement just because um, there was a realization that a um, collaborative child friendly location needed to be in place during child abuse investigations. So that was a way that kids and families, like we stick, we stick around supporting a family as long as they'll have us, you know, it's like, Before, often, kids would maybe be questioned about what happened to them like the police station or something very traumatic like that. And now it's like we have this child-friendly spot, and we will support and help the family however they need for however long. So, yeah, it's all across the state and the nation and even um, across the world.
0: So are there certain counties kind of that you focus on or is it, is there gray area with the, you know, the 17 ones as far as like, you know, county? Yeah. so we
1: have our, um, we have a five county service area here in, here in Southwest Arkansas, it's Clark, Dallas, Pike, Nevada, and Hot Spring County. Um, but, you know, we, if, if it's more convenient or more helpful for a child to be served by our center than maybe a different center that they they fall in the service area, of, then we just, whatever is best for the kids and family, So.
0: You mentioned, you know, folks could donate on the website. Mm-hmm. Um, what are other ways that folks could get involved You know with the center? And, um, you know, what could the donations, you know, help you do there at the center? Either whatever ways that they could be involved.
1: Yeah. Um, so involvement with our center and any other um, center organization like this um, is very helpful. So like volunteers, we have volunteers that. Um, put their time and energy into fundraising events. We have volunteers that help us with yard work like we have a therapy garden in the back that we are constantly trying to um, keep in great shape and with a nonprofit a lot of times there's not just that extra fun, extra funds for beautification and things of that nature. so we have volunteers that do yard work for us. we have volunteers um, that do clerical type tasks um, and then it's what's really helpful to us is just being a champion. In the community. You know, um, it's helpful in so many ways if we just have community members that are informed on the cause, believe in the mission, aren't in denial about the need. Um, and then that really does help us um, by by donations, but then also by helping empower and having a community that keeps kids safe because we can't do it on our own. We need the community and our partnering agencies, which are amazing. Our partnering agencies are great. Um, but then, funds, if people donate funds, like I said, we are fully funded by grants and private donations. So, I I mean, we charge no one anything for any of the services here. So, really, it just, I mean, it just depends on the need for that moment. Um, But any donations that are um, given to the center are spent on direct services of kids and families.
0: Yeah, as the staff grows, I'm sure the need grows. Yeah. People to support the mission. Yeah,
1: so. especially this year being record numbers. I mean, by far record numbers. So I anticipate the need to continue to grow staff to meet those needs.
0: Uh, kind of switching gears to your Washaw story. Uh, <laughs> how did you hear about Washaw? What made you choose Washaw for school?
1: Well, so I actually heard about Washita. one of my uh, one of my best friends in high school. She kind of had a crush on a guy that had been a little older than us than us in high school that went to Washita. And so she was like, well, I think I want to go to OBU. I think I want to go to OBU And I was like, I'll just go and visit with you.
0: Where did you grow up?
1: Uh, I grew up in Greenwood, Arkansas.
0: OK, is that north like north central?
1: Yeah, it's right south of Fort Smith. So, um, it's not, I don't think it's officially Northwest Arkansas, but it's just, yeah, Perfect. right, right, by, right beside me.
0: How do you feel like WashU prepared you for, you know, life and your career? I know, what did you major in while you were here?
1: I was a psychology major and okay. then I actually was a chemistry minor, I guess for fun. I loved chemistry. <laughs> so I don't know why I did that to myself. It was ridiculous. Um, but yeah, I think WashU prepared me. I mean, I, I loved my time there. I absolutely loved my time there. It was such a good experience. I met amazing people, faculty, staff, students. I mean, it was great. I think that um, there are a lot of people that really invested in me as a person. And, um, you know, I think I learned some skills um, that were needed to be determined enough to do something like start a nonprofit and grow it. And, you know, I learned that to work hard, work really hard to do well in things. And And so, yeah, I think it did a, a really good
0: job. Yeah, what was challenging? Like what surprised you moving from? Cause I guess you were doing a lot of direct service before you mm-hmm. started the nonprofit. Were there any things that surprised you about running a nonprofit and that side of things?
1: Yeah. I mean, it was, um, I mean, it was a very steep learning curve. Um, and so I would say the funding of a nonprofit that has been such a challenge just because so many like grants are always um, earmarked or designated funds, you know. And so it's always like, OK, well, I get a grant for this program. But so, but that money, it's not just like a dollar. <laughs> so it has to fund this or this piece and it can't fund this. So I think probably um, changing over from direct therapy services, it was um, more and less consuming in a way, you know, when you're in the direct services and you're really in the trenches with people that can be a really um, heavy, it can be really heavier in that relationship and helping them. But then when you're trying to um, fund and facilitate the organization that even makes that possible, you know, that's just a whole nother level. Um, but yeah, I, have actually really enjoyed being able to continue to do some direct services. So I also do some of the forensic interviews as needed. I'm a backup interviewer. And, and I think I would always like to stay a little bit in the trenches or in the, on the front lines of things. I think it, um, I think it's always helpful for people in administration, um, to know what it's like to be actually executing, um, what, what your business organization is doing. So.
0: Yeah. My nonprofit experience with sweet sleep, you know, was a lot of just like youth group fundraisers and things. Mm -hmm. And you could kind of always know that the money was coming in, but um, being on the board at Casa, so much of it is based. And it's like, Uh you have to keep applying or you'll lose it. And then (laughs) reporting all the time. And I thought it's a lot to keep up with all of the reporting. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, it is. It is. It's, I, I do enjoy it though. I enjoyed, like I said, I enjoyed chemistry. I enjoyed math and sciences. And so I really it's very rewarding when the budget all falls well and I can make all the pieces of the pie, you know, I, I don't know. I like that too.
0: We have this segment on the podcast, Fast Fade five Fives, just finding out five of your, uh, favorite kind of memories or things from Washtenaw. So mm-hmm. uh, favorite professor, do you have a favorite during your time? Yes.
1: Yeah, so I would have to say um, Chris Long, Dr. Chris Long was my favorite professor. So he um, actually started teaching in psychology uh, my first semester there and I was his first advisee. And so um, we connected and he's fantastic. He's no longer there, but I keep up with him. And um, yeah, I really enjoy it. He was a gen psych professor that I talked about in that course. Okay. <laughs>
0: That's awesome. Was there a favorite class either in your major or outside of it?
1: Yeah, this is hard because I really, oh, let me add, I said Chris Long and he was my favorite professor that I had in class, but Johnny Wink, I worked in the English department in the bug truck Mm -hmm. for almost four years and I never took a course over there, (laughs) but uh, Johnny Wink was my favorite professor that I didn't have. I'll say that because he was amazing. But um his, oh, his stories. He's just the best. I just love him. But um, my favorite class. So I enjoyed, I really loved organic chemistry with Joe Jeffers, which probably sounds funny, but I really did enjoy it. There were great people in there. Dr. Jeffers is amazing. It was very challenging. I love challenges and goals. Um, and then senior year, um, Randall White, Dr. White, um, did a directed study with me and another friend on forensic psychology. And so that was very helpful and enjoyable for me, and it actually was interesting because obviously I use—I mean, I'm involved in you know criminal investigations and the forensic side of child maltreatment all the time now. So I loved that. That was a fun course for me. It was something I think he hadn't done before, but he was kind enough to help us our senior year.
0: Fun, yeah. I I took. I think Randall taught my that general psych that first psychology. Yeah. And I loved it and learned a ton. I just was like terrified of poor school, but. Um yeah, I really learned a lot in the class though for sure. Uh do you have a favorite spot on campus, a place that you just love when you're here?
1: I mean, I just going now, like I don't get back too often, but I am obviously close enough to be able to come back some. But just going back now, just the entirety of it, it just feels so comfortable and it come to me. But probably when I was there, I'd probably say across the four years, um, very likely that I would say that the calf was um I love I love food and I love people, and so it's like you could—I mean, of course, COVID wasn't happening, but um, so you could just you know sit and talk and hang out and eat food and yeah. So I think probably the calf was my favorite spot because I could just enjoy people okay. <laughs> and
0: social hub there.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I, I loved <laughs> lots of places. I could go on for far too long naming all the places and all the reasons, but.
0: Was there something you particularly liked to eat in the calf? Was there a favorite?
1: Oh, gosh. So I had to rein it in. Those waffles, the waffles freshman year. Oh, my. I had way too many of those. So I had to, like, really, yeah, (laughs) stop eating all of the waffles. Do they still have Waffle Maker? They may not have that.
0: I think so. I I haven't been. Okay, yeah. Yeah. I hope they
1: do, because it would be sad. It would be sad if <laughs> I didn't give freshmen the opportunity to gorge themselves on waffles.
0: Yeah, with COVID, I'm not sure if somebody is making it for you or not, but right. you know, yeah. it's interesting over there. <laughs> yeah, you should go. Have you been since the fall and seeing how the cafeteria is all organized and stuff? It's crazy over there. I think you used mm-hmm. to come. No, I I yeah, the yeah. lines and stanchions everywhere. It's kind of wild. Yeah.
1: But. I mean, I know that Washell's doing an amazing job, so.
0: It's been an adventure for sure. Um, now, were you in Tiger Tunes as a student? Okay, I thought yeah. you might have been. Did you have a favorite yeah. tune show when you were here?
1: Um. So my favorite, um, my favorite show that I was in, I don't know if it was as much about like the actual performance of the show, but the I was in the um, E Big Top, I think is what it's called, but I always called it the circus show. Um, and I loved making our costumes like that. We spent so much time and effort making those amazing costumes. And that was one. that's what some of my favorite memories of Tiger tunes is like everyone getting together with hot glue guns and just like working on costumes. So I love that show. I will say though, my, Junior and senior year, I was in both the E and Kappa shows and they won first and second place both years. So I was I was in no way an integral part. Like I was so not a big part of any of those shows, but I was in first place and second place junior and senior year.
0: <laughs> Very fun. I know
1: it's so fun and exhausting. I remember thinking at that time I'm like I'm so exhausted, I'll never be this tired again. And <laughs> obviously I've been far more tired. <laughs> but, <laughs>
0: Do you have a favorite Washington memory or a couple that kind of stand out as favorite moments?
1: I mean, this is going to sound kind of silly, but probably um, when I met Jay, my husband, uh, I, um, so, you know, Washington small enough to, you usually know of people. And so I, I, um, I knew Jay's older brother. So he was in the science building with me when I was doing all my chemistry stuff. And he had, he was very helpful. He was very, very kind. He's my brother-in-law now. He's great. But, um, anyway, and I remember in my, I think it was Western heritage class. um, It was second semester of my freshman year. So uh, Western heritage class and like the first day she's taking role and I hear her say Jay Neal. And so I'm like, Oh, well, that's Jeff's brother. And I look over and I'm like, Oh man, he's really cute. But what I didn't know is that he's like the greatest human ever. And I was so glad I convinced him to marry me. (laughs) And uh, anyway, and because of that moment, I have our three awesome girls and Georgia Vivian and Pearl. So I would say that probably was the most formative an important moment <laughs> that I had there. But other than that, no, I mean, I think that there were just a lot of great memories. I really enjoyed my time there a lot. It's, just, it's a very special place with a lot of wonderful people.
0: Definitely. How are you juggling working and the girls and all of that?
1: So my mom, so my, so when we moved back, we were gone for a few years and then we came back to Arkadelphia and, um, my mom actually moved down here and so the girls are doing virtual school but mom is uh mom mom is there with them mostly and then Jay and I will come home uh, chunks a couple afternoons just to help with things um but yeah I mean it's a lot it's a lot to juggle I I deal with it though best when I'm running regularly so that's one of my biggest ways I, I get up and run probably three or four days a week I get up at and run 530 ish. And and that's so it's so healing to me because I get to go and do something that I love. I get to do something with people that I enjoy. I run with friends. And then it's also while everyone's asleep. So I don't, I don't have to miss my children or miss my husband, because I already feel like, you know, with work being so much, I feel like I miss a lot that I are at times I feel like I do. And so it's a nice way for me to do my self care. It helps my brain feel um, clearer also, you know, in dealing with all work stuff. So that's how I, that's how I deal with it really is. And then Jay's amazing. He really is the best person I've ever met. So he helps a lot.
0: I love that. Um, any tips for any moms out there that are struggling to juggle things in COVID land and, and
1: yeah, (laughs) I mean, I really think, I think that you need to be able to set good boundaries. You know, I had to, um, And I hope this comes across well, but I had to decide that I wasn't going to just do something or take on obligations because I felt like I had to. I um, had I decided I think it was last year when I was really I have to be so intentional. And I have three kids now and my job is very, um, very consuming and very demanding. And I just can't just say yes to things. Um, because I feel like, oh, well, I should be doing that. Or, oh, I know that needs to be done because I have a bad habit of that. I'm like, well, something someone has to do this and I should be the one that, that does it. Um, and I think just finding a way to refresh yourself and to do something for yourself um, is is um, very important. And just, it's everyone's different. You know, I found my way is getting up and running before everyone's no anyone's awake. And um, it's very different for other people. And so just finding a way to refill Yourself, you know, because if I'm if I'm exhausted, or if I'm if I'm empty, or feeling overwhelmed, then I'm not nearly as effective of a director, or wife, or mother. And so, investing in yourself um, and your spiritual health.
0: Anything else you'd love to say to your Washaw, you know, friends and family out there (laughs) (laughs) today?
1: I don't know. I don't know. I really enjoy getting to share about um, this. My passion. I I mean, I appreciate the opportunity. I um, I would encourage. I really would encourage the Washaw community to think about being invested in a cause like this. I think, um, you know, I think once we know, like I hope that I've informed all of you today. So now that you take away and you say, I now know there's such a need, you know, whether it be just supporting a foster family or an adoptive family or relationship is so healing. And um, right now we're so separated from each other in so many ways. And, and that's really not healthy for us. I mean, we were created for connection, you know? And so I think just taking the time to um, invest in other people and connect, even though we're being distanced as we are, um, and then seeing how you can help others that are struggling, because there's a lot of people struggling. Give yourself grace and give others grace.
0: <laughs> I love that. There's a, a line of a song that we use a lot in our work with Sweet Sleep that was, now that I have seen, I'm, I am responsible. You yes. Know, like, yes. Once yes. you know, like you have to do something about it and be responsible oh, for it.
1: Yeah. No, absolutely. Let it motivate you, not overwhelm you, not not make you want to ignore, but let it motivate you to make the difference and do do what you know needs to be done.
0: Definitely. Well, we are certainly proud of you and all the work that you're doing and know that it is so worthwhile. And I just can't imagine all of the children that have been helped. I mean, hundreds, you know, that you yeah, impacted yeah. and like you said the change that can make for generations, you know, is, is such a great thing. So, you know, thank you for all the work that you're doing. And if we can do anything for you here, let us know, but hopefully our alums will connect with you and connect with the center out there and get involved.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, John. I appreciate it. Have a good one.
0: You too. Thanks for listening to the Tiger for life podcast. Be sure to rate and subscribe so you won't miss out on future episodes.